Well, good to be back with you today. If you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Somebody from Lighthouse one time said to me, every time I come to Calvary, I learn a new song. Well, I was returning that favor today at 7.99. I've never heard that, seen it, but I like it, so we'll, we're learning at Calvary too. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 30. And I just want you to try to imagine, think about what's going on here. And I'll just make some comments as we go through to kind of help us do that, hopefully. Mark 6 verse 30, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So the Lord had sent them out, and they're excited coming back. They've been traveling, preaching, uh, performing miracles, pretty much like Jesus did. And He said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place. It's more the idea of deserted than it is sand and stuff like that. They're away from everybody else. And rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran a foot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. So they're there, they're trying to get away, get a little rest, can't do it. Everybody's there trying to find him and hear him, get healing or whatever they needed. And Jesus, when he was come out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep having, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place, and now the time is far past. So here's most of the disciples, I think, were uh, the apostles, that is, were somewhere around 30, about near the same age as Jesus. Uh, still have appetites that young men have. And they've been working all day. And they said, that, look, there's no McDonald's around here or anything. This is a desert, deserted place. We need to send them away so they can get some food. Verse 37, He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? So a penny was said in other parts of the Gospels that uh, was about a day's pay. So you take the average working man, uh, whatever his pay would be today, 200 penny worth, 200 days wages. That's what it would take to feed all these people. Verse 38, He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five loaves and two fishes. 
And he commanded them to take all uh, to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves, uh, when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven, and blessed, and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. I don't know how many women and children they had there, but five thousand men. Time of our message today is twelve baskets full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privileges, the blessings that we enjoy. Thank you for being able to meet in a comfortable building with heat. Thank you that we can gather in freedom. Thank you, Lord, for the way you've worked in this church over the years. And Lord, you've promised to meet with us. And we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the way you've worked in our lives previously. And I pray that you would give us understanding today, each one of us. Each of us would hear you speaking to us about our particular needs. And Lord, help us to respond in a way that pleases you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, COVID has affected a lot of things. Here we are, about three years been affected by this, I guess. And as a as a pastor, I've been concerned about some of the aspects of the effects that it's had upon our church and really churches all over our country. One of the things that I think has affected our church is a willingness of some not to assemble. Uh, we started uh, Zoom. Now we're switched over to YouTube and I think previously, you know, people were more faithful, more committed, but now you can just cut on your computer or use your phone or whatever and, uh, you know, stay at home. Uh, Psalm 122, verse 1 said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It seemed like we've lost some of that. Uh, and Hebrews 10 says, you know, as we see the day approaching, the day of the Lord's return, we should be... Uh, more faithful, more eager in attending. Uh, another concern that I have as a pastor is that I believe that many American Christians, and I'm talking about people who are genuinely saved, have become more uh, willing to uh, easily ex- ex- excuse a lack of sacrifice. I think that's generally true of all Americans because we, we have it so good. And uh, we're wealthy people and so forth. But uh, during COVID, you know, we can't serve God to some degree because the government says, we, well, we might endanger somebody's lives. You, I mean, it's better to stay home than, it, you know, possibly pass COVID on to somebody else, our families, you know, our church members. And, of course, now we've got uh, inflation. And uh, that's, that's the next justifiable reason why 
Maybe we can't drive as far or we can't give of ourselves as much, can't give as much to the, the church. Or, you know, I would assume that probably across the United States, uh, the money that people give to missions is probably dropped, churches and so forth. And uh, I believe you've got missions coming. That's in March, right? Yeah, well, everything's more costly. Is, is faith promise going to go down uh, from, from Lighthouse? Now, the Bible says that we can actually limit God. In Matthew chapter uh, 13, in verse 58, uh, it says that Jesus did not many miracles, mighty works in a certain place because of their unbelief. And so that certainly can be true. Uh, it's not that God's lost any power or it's not that He doesn't have a perfect will about what should be done, but if, if we don't believe the Lord and trust Him, certainly we can hinder the work that He's going to do. And so really the question that I want to pose to you today is, do we as Christians still consider ourselves servants, servants of God? Uh, you know, Paul basically, he begins each of his letters referring to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's uh, what that means to us is not the same as exactly what it meant back in uh, the 1600s when the King James was translated. He's, he's talking about a slave. And do we still regard being a slave of Jesus Christ is a high position. You know, if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus, in Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man uh, came not to be ministered unto, to be served, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. Uh, in uh, Matthew 23, verse 11, Jesus said, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, your slave, somebody that's owned and whose responsibility is just do what uh, their master tells them to do. Now, in this passage that we just read, there is a, a hidden hero. We don't know who he is or she was. We, we, there's no real details given about this person. But we should take note of them and follow that person's example. And since it says... Uh, there were 5,000 men. I've, I've kind of assumed that it is a man, but I don't know that. But the point is this. When we view ourselves as servants of the Lord, and when we give of ourselves and of our possessions to the Lord for His purposes, that's when the Lord will supply the needs of His people and He will glorify Himself. And so I've chosen this uh, numeric example as my title, 12 Baskets Full. First thing I want us to note in this passage is the glory of the Son of Man. Now, Son of Man is a title for uh, Messiah of the Lord Jesus. But in verse 30, it says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart unto a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they, hid, they had no leisure so much as to rest. And they departed into a desert place by ship 
privately. The first thing I note here about the, the Son of Man, this glory for Him, is His loving empathy for His disciples. Now, the labor of the ministry can uh, be totally exhausting. It's not a 40-hour week or 30 or not even 60. And the kind of things you're dealing with, if, 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 if you're at least in management, managing people is harder than running a machine. You got one person there saying, what about you, Howard? You, you kind of... Okay, okay, all right. Uh, really, I mean, when you're bearing people's burdens, that's, that's what they were doing. A lot of the people that came to Jesus came because they were sick or sorry. Uh, for things they had done. They want answers about themselves and about their children, about their marriages and so forth. And here were Jesus' disciples. They'd been sent out, and this is a, probably a relatively new thing for them. There, we know at least twice, one time Jesus set out six pairs to preach and to go to places before He came. Another time He sent out 70 men. But they've come back and they, they're excited about what they've accomplished and all that. But what Jesus realized is that they were exhausted. They were worn out. They needed a, a time to rest. And here's, here's Almighty God. He doesn't get tired. Now, He did when He lived as a man. Think about in John 4 where He sat down at the well. Of course, He... He was really, I think, looking to evangelize a woman that he knew was going to come there, but he sent his disciples into town to get something to eat. But Jesus rested, and so he knows the needs of these men. He knows when we're tired. He's the one who inspired Solomon to write in Ecclesiastes and said, Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And he talks about you know working and, and not being productive and that kind of thing. But here are men who are not just meeting physical and emotional needs, but uh, they're doing what Ephesians 6.12 says. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness and so forth. They're doing spiritual labor, and he has empathy for his disciples. Our God, who's so much greater than we are, realizes our needs, our genuine human needs. The next thing I noticed here is he has compassion as a shepherd for lost sheep in verse 33. It says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, as they knew who he was, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You know, one of the sad things about the United States today in a media-dominated time is that in a time when very few people actually go to church where they can hear the Bible, is they don't have anybody to lead and direct them. 
Uh, even parents are neglecting their responsibility to their children to teach them and so forth. We're, we're accustomed to sending them off to school, and that's kind of like, it seems like what a lot of parents think, that they don't have any more par- uh, parenting responsibility to teach children right from wrong, teach them uh, how to live and so forth. But it's, that's because many, most of the, the adults don't know. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know who to turn to. Uh, they've heard that, you know, all religions are the same. Every God is the same. And uh, after you've gone through a certain amount of time in your life and you start realizing that uh, really the reason I have most of these problems is because of myself, then uh, we start having, <laughs> well, is it state that they've had uh, eight suicides already this year? Think about young people. They're, they're, most people, young people go away to school and think it's going to be a great time. Yeah, I'll, I'll study some, but parents and adults are always telling them, this will be the best years of your life when you're in college. And there they are, hopeless. Well, I went to, uh, to the doctor. Was it this past Monday, Kathy? We went to... Yeah, we've never really had a family doctor, so Kathy and I, Jacqueline and so forth, saying now that we're old, we need a doctor. So we're we're trying to find one, you know. Uh, let's see, it's not pediatric; that's kids. What do you call doctors for old people? Geriatric. <laughs> I know I'm older than you are, but anyway, we're looking for a geriatric doctor, you know, and. Kathy goes in and meets with her first, and then she comes in and sits down. She says, I'm, I'm just going to ask you some questions, you know, and ask you about health and so forth. And she said, do you, you have any experience of depression? I said, no. I said, well, I know uh, people in your profession often have a depression. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, so I'm a pastor, so I should be depressed. Uh, but... I can imagine that's true. I mean, I told her, I said, well, actually, I think the Bible has all the answers for for people's needs. But if I were a professional minister uh, and I had to try to carry other people's burdens and I didn't have the Lord myself and have the truth, I can imagine it would be an extremely depressing uh, profession. But you know the people around you and you talk to people. And they're profane and so forth because they don't have any hope. And Jesus looks at this group of 5,000 people. I mean, most preachers are probably saying, hey, this is a good crowd. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'd like to be able to preach to 5,000 people. But he, he really sees them. Do you ever sit at a mall while your wife's shopping and just watch people walk by? See what they look like, what their expressions are. You guys, when you're at work and you sit down at lunch and you hear people talk, um, uh, Jesus is laboring. Jesus has got responsibility, but he, he looks at this crowd and he, he says they're, they're like sheep that nobody direct them. They don't know where to go to find food. They don't have protection. They're in danger. 
Um, and I take note of that, and I've recently, in uh, preaching at a rest nursing home, uh, we were going through some of the last events on the cross, and here's Jesus. Not only does he have nails in his hands and feet, not only has he been scourged so there's no basically no skin on his back, probably meat taken off as well, but he looks over at John and says, John, my mother's your mother now. You take care of her from now on. He says that to his mother. He, he's in the... He's burying the sins of the world and he's thinking about his mother, somebody taking care of his mother for him. And we can be sure of that, that the Lord knows about our needs and that he has compassion on us, even though most of our troubles is because we haven't obeyed him. He's a compassionate God. We see also his patient edification of his servants. So starting in verse 35, here the disciples realize a need. It says, When well, the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away. So they've been with him all day. They hadn't eaten or anything. His disciples recognized that. But Jesus said, uh, Don't send them away. You feed them. And so here they are, they're, they're being compassionate, and yet they have needs. No doubt part of the recognition of other people's needs is their stomachs are growling. But it's not time to eat yet. Jesus has something He wants to teach them. And so He gives them this order, you know, to see how many people actually brought food, and it's just one person. And it's not much at that. And he has them sit down, he divide, you know, they divide up in ranks and everything so they can get to them easily and so forth because the Lord knows what their greatest needs are. You, know, you think about why is life so full of problems? Because the Lord has a lot to teach us. The trials that we have, James tells us, you know, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And it goes on about how it's when we go through these things and test the Lord and we start understanding more of the Bible, that's when we grow. And so here's the Lord Jesus. He's patient with these men and He's trying to build them up in their faith. He's thinking of their spiritual development. And then the fourth thing, and there's many other things we could look at about the Lord Jesus and see His glory, but... We see His omnipotent, benevolent, divine supply of all our needs. So in verse, again, it, well, let's, let's pick up uh, in verse 38. He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. So five loaves of bread, let's just say they're about like that. And 5,000 men. I mean, everybody's not even going to get a little pinch. And one of the other Gospels where this mentioned, it says two small fishes. So I don't wonder what that is. Sardine? Maybe it's a couple of sardines. That's all they got. He said, well, have everybody sit down. 
And uh, so they puts it and starts dividing it up. The apostles are going out. They go out. And they says, now collect everything. And they've got 12 basketfuls after everybody. It says in verse 42, they did all eat and were filled. And then they took up 12 baskets full. I think the Greek word that's translated baskets here indicates a, a, a very large type basket, a particular type of basket. They got all the fragments of the bread. They got all the fishes. And they, again, 5,000 men. Now, his supply was sufficient for all. Men who hadn't eaten all day. And he supplies every bit of it. You know, one of the things, my dad was a businessman and uh, knew about, you know, one of the things I've heard him express before, uh, he's with the Lord now, but uh, he was, part of the reason he was concerned about making profit was not just, you know, could he get a nicer car, but he was concerned about making payroll. If they, the biz didn't make money, you know, the people that worked for him weren't going to be able to get paid. And here's Jesus supplying all their needs. And one of the things, I was, what I was getting to is this. Our, our church is about the same, same size as a lighthouse. And yet, I've never missed a meal as a pastor, being a pastor there for 40 years this, this August. The Lord's always supplied. I mean, we got, what is it, I think six or seven millionaires, Kathy? In the church, is it? No, we don't have any that I know of. But people for, that give, and because they have given, the Lord supplied all of our needs. And we even got an assistant pastor that we pay. And then beyond that, we've got, I think, seven or eight missionaries that we support. And it's the Lord has supplied all that. We've we tried to keep our buildings from falling down. You know, we tried to take care of them, improve them, different parts of them throughout time. That takes a good bit of money too, and that's because we have a divine supply. You know, I figured there were at least two million Jews that came out of Egypt. Uh, I don't think that I would probably last one day in the Sinai Peninsula. That really is a desert. But at least, I mean, possibly up to six million people. They're men, women, and children. All their animals, herds, and so forth. And they walked around in in that area for 40 years. They got upset because they got thirsty a few times. They wanted some different food, but for 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Now think about that, ladies. I don't know how many pairs they had, uh, each of those women, but they all had shoes. And so here we have the God who supplied all that demonstrated here as part of His glory. 
Our God is God. And so we see that demonstrated in this passage, but I want you to notice also the blessing for Jesus' servants in this passage. In verse 30, we see the privilege, part of the privilege of being a co-laborer together with Jesus. In verse 30, it says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 9. It says, Paul says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. You know, um, some people count, there's a few people who, for whom golf is labor. You know, they're professionals. And think about all the people that would love, and people do, they pay money to be able to golf with one of those professional golfers. There are people all over the place that would love to work with or work for a certain person because of their ability, their understanding, their fame and all that. But here's some preachers that get to spend time with God in human flesh. And he actually calls them in the word that he inspires laborers together, co-laborers. Um, one of the things that um, I mentioned, we mentioned Bobby Mitchell this morning. I, I am envious of him for one thing, and that is his dad was a pastor who knew what he was doing. And Bobby's one of the wisest preachers that I know, pastors that I know, but he, he, just, he got to work with his dad. He learned it from his dad. He didn't go to school and sit under a bunch of pointy-head professors, you know, he actually worked with somebody who knew what he's doing and had the power of God upon his life and could explain the Bible to him and so forth. There's probably some people you would like to work with. I, you know, think about ladies cooking, things like that, or whatever it is, rearing your children. If, if you could be around somebody that really had some wisdom, but here, <laughs> if you're a co-laborer, if you're a servant with Jesus Christ, He actually works through you. And what a privilege that is. The joy of ministering to souls and having people's genuine needs met. That's what these men experienced. In that service, they also had the experience of intimate care. Uh, verse 31 and 32 again. He said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart in a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. 
Now, I believe Chris mentioned this morning at Sunday school. By the way, if you don't come to Sunday school, shame on you. You ought to. I've only heard him twice, and I've come on Sundays when he's had a good lesson. Both times. What, what I'm saying is I believe it's good every time. And here are these men, and, and uh, he was, he's in Genesis 3. He's talking about Adam and Eve, you know, walking in the garden in the cool of the evening, talking with God. Here are men that lived for three and a half years with Jesus. And the Bible says in Mark 3, verse 14, and he ordained twelve that they should, do you know what it says? That they should be with him. It doesn't say that they should preach or perform miracles, whatever. It says that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. So they were ministering, but he was training them and they were fellowshipping with God, living as a man every day. They saw how he dealt with problems. They, they saw how he prayed. I mean, what a privilege that was. And not only did he, they have access to him, but he had access to them. Now, compare that or contrast that with Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3. Here's the wisest man, probably the richest man that ever lived on earth. It says this, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh unto the sun? Chris pointed out that after the curse... The process of life was work till you sweat and then die. Go back to dust. That's the basic general pattern. If you look at life, and Solomon talks about, you know, life under the sun. Life as if there is no God. But here were men that were with God. He chosen to be with them. That's the privilege that we have if we serve the Lord. He works through us. He, he takes our weaknesses and does something great with them. And the Bible says not only is He, you know, that, but he, he has, we have His intimate care. Now, this is easier for the Lord now than it used to be, but it says He knows the number of hairs on my head. He's, he knows how many have dropped off. In other words, I, I could never have a need that He doesn't know about. Intimate care that these men received. He, they also had the satisfaction of eternal ministry. In verse 33, it says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together with him. And Jesus, when he, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion for them, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, eternal ministry. I think about that, what I just read from Ecclesiastes. What profit does a man have? In Ecclesiastes, 
Solomon says this, a guy works, he, he's successful, he's profitable, but then he gets to the end of his life, he looks at the guy that's going to take over the business when he gets through. And he goes, what's he going to do with it? And he thinks maybe, all this I've spent my life building, he's going to run it to the ground. You know, if you're, in, if you're involved in eternal work, ministering to souls, talking to people about their, their needs and pointing them to the Lord Jesus, um, I, you, you can do that. All of us should be doing that regardless of what our, you know, our, the way that we make money. And you can have the fact that there's going to be people in heaven. And Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 2, about people that we're going to see in heaven. They're part of our reward because we've ministered to them and done eternal work and labor. You know, it looks to me like somebody cleaned the building before today. There's some people that actually bring food to share in Sunday school. Somebody, I guess, will be doing this afternoon. And you say, well, that's not eternal labor. <laughs> well, I guess that just depends on how you look at it. If you're ministering to people so that they're welcome and they can enjoy the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, and they can see the example of service that you are providing, that's eternal ministry. In John 6, verse 27, Jesus warned us. He said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto him, for him hath God the Father sealed. There's tons of people that our church people work with and they witness to that I'll never see. What a tremendous opportunity. There's, they, these men also learned loving ministry. In verse 35 and 36. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Now, I'm, I keep plugging Chris here. I'm trying to make a point. But uh, he's talking about young people not knowing about work and stuff like that. Well, typically young people, it's just the, just the way it is. Their primary focus is on themselves. Now, once you get to be a parent, you have to change diapers and, you know, sometimes your focus changes. And you got teenagers you're trying to take care of and all that. And then... Adult children, did you, did you catch that? Adult children, and then grandkids and all this, all of a sudden your, your focus tends to go more to other people. But here's 30-year-old men somewhere in there who've been working all day and hadn't had time to eat. They, they got taken, now this is frustrating if you've ever had this happen. You go on vacation, something happens, interrupts, you had to go back to work. 
Well, here Jesus is taken apart for a while so they don't come apart. You know, taken apart so they don't come apart. And that's been interrupted. And there's 5,000 people that are wanting their help. <laughs> and I, I know it's probably because they're probably prompted to think about it maybe because their own stomach's growling. But they look at it and they said, these people hadn't had anything to eat. Is that typically what a young person does? No. But they had learned that from Jesus. They'd seen his compassion. It says when he saw the 5,000, he didn't think, oh, good night. It says he had compassion on them. He knew what their needs were. And they've learned that from the Lord Jesus. That's one of the greatest things about serving in Christ's work. And then the fifth one there is the perfect instruction by the perfect servant. So starting in verse 37 and going down to verse 42, this man that they were learning to preach from and to minister from and so forth, I mean, Jesus, you know, they I got a guy in my church, Sam Jones, probably all of you know Sam. And whenever he talks about doctors, he, he always reminds everybody that it's medical practice. They're practicing. They don't know the answers, but they're practicing. <laughs> well, thank the Lord there are some doctors that know and nurses who actually know what they're doing. But here, Jesus wasn't learning. Jesus knew. He's God. He's our Creator. And they got to work with this man, and he instructed them constantly. You know, they're, they're headed toward Jerusalem, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus said, hey, what were you guys, what were you guys talking about back there a little bit? He was the perfect instructor. And so there's a blessing for Jesus' servants, but... The most important one that I want to point out today is the superlative service of a selfless sacrifice. Here were 5,000 people. The disciples didn't have anything. They say, we can't do anything. We don't have enough money. 200 days wages. we'd We'd use up everything we have if we feed these people. And there was one person there that had a lunch. Now you think about that. One person was smart enough to bring his lunch out of 5,000. And they go out looking. How many of you brought your lunch? You're going around and trying to count. Well, they didn't have to count very much because just one person. And he gave all that he had freely to people, other people who gave nothing. Verse 36, it says, Send them away that they may go into the country round about into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Well, Galatians 6 2 says this. Paul's writing to several churches in the Galatian region of Galatia, and he said, Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Here's a man that understood that. You think he sold his lunch to the apostles? I don't think so. 
They had a need and he freely gave. And you know what? I, I have to say this. I, I've observed that here at Lighthouse. About how willing you folks are to give of yourself and to serve the others. That's a great quality. And so I commend you for that. But here's a man that his name's not even given, but he's, of course, next to the Lord, is really the focus of all this. His name's not known, and that's so that Jesus could get all the glory. You know, one of the saddest things, and I have to admit as a pastor, sometimes aggravating, is that people, is when people get upset because their service is not recognized. Is that what they were doing it for? Or were they doing it to honor and serve the Lord? Um, let me turn to John chapter 3. Well, actually, yeah. John chapter 3. I'll just read that to you. I got that here. It says, They came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all come to him. So the crowds for John the Baptist are starting to get smaller. And his disciples come to him and they pointed out, they're all following Jesus. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. You know, a guy goes to a wedding, he's, is he, he's visiting, or he's some, and he's upset because the, bride, the bridegroom is getting all the attention, or the bride, you know. No, that's, something's messed up about that. He said, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. It's, it's, of course, it'd be sad if the bridegroom, the groom, wasn't smiling at his own wedding. But all the other men that are there to support their friend, they ought to be smiling for him as well. But here, this man's name's not even given. We don't even know who it was. And yet, because he gave what he had, just a small amount, over 5,000 people were fed, and each of the apostles had enough food to eat another week. Twelve baskets full. Because one man just gave what little bit that he had. He gave what he had, that again, all that might be abundantly fed. Verse 42, they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Uh, you probably never thought about that when Malachi says in chapter 3, verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat, that is food in mine house. And prove me, put me to test. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. 
and there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, this I mentioned about my dad a while ago. I don't know, many times he, he, I heard him wander. He said, I mean, how, do these, how does this church pay your salary? How do they take care of these buildings? How do you have enough money? And I say, well, we give, you know, at least half as much to uh, missions. So he's wondering how they even pay one man's salary. And it's at least three times that that they give. Why? Because people gave to the Lord what little they had. And he multiplies it and blesses it. Uh he just, Jesus said, the, the Bible says, bring you all the tithes in the storehouse and see if I won't supply all the needs. Everybody gives a tenth and it's, it's sufficient and more. Twelve baskets full more here. And again, finally, this man gave his all because he loved the Lord and because he had faith and because he denied himself. In Mark eight thirty four, it says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, why would you follow the Lord? Because you love him. And because you've given yourself to him in faith. Um, turn over to chapter 11 and we'll, we'll come to a conclusion here. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. It says, And when they came nigh to Bethlehem, unto Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man sat, Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And the man pulled his gun on him. No, wait a minute. That's, that's another version. And certain of them that stood there said unto him, What do ye loosen the colt? Well, that's, <laughs> that's right. What are you doing taking my, either a, a, you know, a, a young horse or a young donkey? And they say unto him, even as Jesus had commanded him, they said that the Lord hath need of him. He said, he let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments upon him and he sat upon him. Now, They just told that man, the Lord has need of him. And that was sufficient. Now, let me give a caution here. There's a lot of uh, people who are religious who are trying to get your money. I'm certainly not encouraging to give without examining and finding out exactly what's the character of their ministry and the character of the people that are involved. But the point is this, when they said that the Lord had need of him, and he no doubt knew it was Jesus. And here, one of the most valuable possessions, it'd be almost like giving away a car today. 
to somebody who was a laboring person back then. He gave it. You know, I've received so much from the Lord and His churches. I, I don't know how I could ever repay. It's, I couldn't. The things I've learned, the things that He's done to change my life. I, I don't understand people that don't give. But at the same time, I'm, I'm always amazed at how the people in a, a genuine Bible-preaching, practicing church that love the Lord, how they do give. And all I'm doing today is exhorting you to keep doing that, is remind you. I mean, inflation is a fact. And, you know, can't even hardly afford to buy an ice cream cone anymore. And that's hurtful to me, you know, buying ice cream. Well, I don't know, I'm kind of tying myself with the president when I say that. I just not scratch that, but when they gave this one man, one man gave, 5,000 at least were fed and there were 12 baskets full to provide for the future for Jesus and his disciples. You know, I, I'm sure it didn't. I'm sure each one of those baskets didn't have one of the names of the apostles on there. But I think they probably got the point. The Lord's provided. In His omnipotence, that is, unlimited power. In His omniscience, knowing everything that they need, what was going to come up in the week ahead. Uh, this is this is what was left after all the needs were met that day. We don't know the name of the person, male or female, who gave, but the Lord used their sacrifice to build the faith of countless souls. Not just the people who were fed, not just the apostles, but everybody's read about that giving from then till today. And Hebrews 13.6 tells us this, but to do good and to communicate, and the word there, you know, communicating is an exchange of something. In this case, it's talking about giving money, possessions. But to do good and communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And not only that, but Paul, when he wrote the Philippian church, he was in jail. And he praised them because they had supplied his needs. He said, when I first went out, nobody supported us, but you, you did. And he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can give, I can meet the demands that God places upon me. All of us can through Christ. And so to be a servant, being owned by the Lord, being commanded by the Lord, everything that we have belongs to Him. To take that, that kind of approach in life is the only guarantee that you'll always have everything you need.